Hi guys, this is uh, Andre Harrison from Motorsport 101. This is episode 307 of the show. This is a warning. For very sad reasons, a death and a fatal incident will be discussed over the course of this episode. When this episode goes up, I will put a timestamp in the description down below if you would like to skip the segment for understandable reasons. Please look after yourselves and each other. Thanks for listening. Hi guys, I'm Dre Harrison here from Motorsport 101, of course, and uh, with me, as always, you know the gang, the gang's all here, Ryan King, RJ O'Connell, and Cam Buckley. Um, sadly, um, we have to start on a very somber note, um, unfortunately, because we have some horrible news that you probably are well aware of in the world of motorsport from MotoGP at Magello this past weekend, that we lost Moto3 Jason Dupasquire. Um... Jason was a talented Swiss racer, just 19 years old, and was inspired by his hero Thomas Lutti. In just his second year in the class, he had already shown rapid improvement. He'd finished in the points at every single race this season, including a career-best seventh just a month ago at Jerez. During Saturday's second qualifying session, Jason crashed at the exit of the second Nairobi Bata at turn nine and unfortunately fell into the path of fellow riders Ayumi Sasaki and Jeremy Alcoba. After 30 minutes of medical treatment on track, he was airlifted to a local hospital in Florence where he sadly succumbed to his injuries on Sunday morning. The sport paid tribute to him with a minute's silence before the MotoGP race on Sunday afternoon. Ryan in peace, Jason, and from everyone, of course, at Motorsport 101, we send our deepest condolences to Jason's loved ones, to the MotoGP paddock at large as well, during what's obviously a horrific time in the sport. And, um, gentlemen, we know, I know we normally have a better laid plan for, for elements like this, but where do you even start on just uh, another horrible, horrible um, tragedy in, in, in GP motorcycle racing? I mean... Just, just dreadful. Yeah, I mean, there's not that much to add where it's sort of one of those incidents where it could happen at any moment and somewhat, it's always somewhat in the back of your mind and you always dread it happening and it's when it when it hits you it, it's it's like a rubber band snapping where it's like you go from like fine to it's it, everything's not yeah i, I yeah i it, it, it happened in real time as the session was going on so i was watching the session live like anybody else and it just it just happened and it's just like, as a bike fan, you know when it's a really bad one. And yeah, the fact that the red flags came out, the fact that FP4 for MotoGP was immediately delayed, you knew it was a bad one. Unfortunately, it was rather clumsily handled by the broadcast. There was replays. They they kept coming to the scene. It was a, it was a harrowing watch, um, for lack of a better term. Um, and... Yeah, everyone just felt like 
they had to carry on, really. And, um, you know, motorsports always have that sort of mentality that the show must go on. But uh, it, it it never gets any easier. I'll tell you for that. I mean, I've been I've been a bike fan 20 years. That's That's the fifth one I've seen. And, you know, I saw Kato, I saw... Tomizar, I saw Marco. Salon was was awful as well, and uh, it's you know with bike racing, it is it is a wonderful sport to watch, but it can be so so dangerous sometimes. And no matter how safe modern motorsport can be, if that one ha- if that sort of incident happens, there is nothing really that can be done. Unfortunately, it it comes with the territory that you watch someone climb on a motorcycle, and it can be, it can be a two hundred mile, twenty mile per hour rocket. It can be just getting on a motorcycle to commute to work. That there's an inherent danger there, and you know that in in, in motorcycle racing, if someone throws their leg over one of these things. There's that thought in the back of your mind that. It might not come back, and uh, despite all the safety advancements with with the bikes, with the tracks, with uh, the rider suits, this is a type of incident that there, there, there's really no way to make it safer. The only way for it to be safer is for it to not happen. And uh, we lost we lost a 19 year old kid. As a kid, who's five years younger than I am as the time of recording, and that's no time to go. I mean, but yeah, the one that got me because, like I said, I mentioned this. If people that follow me personally might, I wrote some words about it on on my Substack page. If if you really want to read them, but I was at work when the news dropped that he'd be passed away on my, on Sunday morning, and. Like I mentioned it before, the one that got me was the fact that his year of birth started at a two. That was like a yeah. two. That was... It's the little things like that that you, you wouldn't normally notice, but 2001 date of birth, that's just... It's hard to wrap your head around something like that. That The guy was a teenager. That's, that's someone's child. And... We talk about guys coming through the sport at an incredibly fast pace, but you don't you don't think about days like Saturday and Sunday until until it happens, and you know it will happen because that's that's the sacrifice that comes with being a bike fan. It's all incredibly selfish to an extent because we watch to be entertained, um, and while these guys don't do it directly for our entertainment, it doesn't make it any less horrible when someone has to make the ultimate sacrifice to do what they love doing. And it's in, incredibly sad that we lost Jason that way. It, it, it was obviously an incredibly somber weekend. The, the racing almost took a back seat. In fact, it did take a back seat you know, compared to the usual MotoGP weekend. Um, this is one of the Blue Ribbon events on the calendar every year, and it all just felt numbing to watch and oh, um, 
I mean, we mentioned it in the, in, in the show as well. We said that the, the racing took a bad seat. It was, it was the race itself. Fabio Quartararo won pretty comfortably in the end. It was a comfortable, measured ride. Francisco Bagnaia had the early lead, but crashed early on, and Quartararo run pretty easily after that point. And um, like I said, it just kind of felt like the thing was happening. And you know, he won. We saw a Swiss flag in Park Fermain on the podium in Jason's honor. Um, yeah, Jason had a sticker with his. Oh, sorry, there was a Jason sticker on the on the back of Fabio's helmet. Um, yeah, um, there was there, the the humanity on display was obviously clear for all to see, and the riders were definitely split as to as to whether we even should have raced at all and. A couple of powerful quotes from two riders that certainly didn't want to be there was the aforementioned former leader, Banyaya, who said, quote, If yesterday was already difficult, today was impossible. Um, it may be, it's maybe one of the worst days of my life. I didn't enjoy anything today. So for me, I asked not to race because it was not correct for me. I think if it happened to a MotoGP rider, we wouldn't race. So I'm not happy about today. I'm not happy about the decision of someone to let us race after news like this. The other prominent name was Danilo Petrucci. He said, I just think that we are racing on the same track where almost 24 hours ago people like us died. And for me, it's not a great thing. But then I was, let's say, not in the position to say we have to stop for a day at least. And I was always feeling a little bit dirty to do that. Nobody asked or had a meeting to say that one of us is not with us anymore. Let's say, quote, can we talk a bit if it is correct to do the minute and then continue afterwards? I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about it. And that's why I asked, I mean, do you think we should have continued? Do you think we should have kept going? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer on this, but I'd love to hear some perspective. Uh, I don't know. It's it's difficult to say because I I can't recall there ever being a situation where there was a you know a fatality at a race event and before before race day itself and they just didn't go on with the race itself like unless something was inherently dangerous where there was. Go, like where there could have been another fatality later that weekend, I can't recall like a race weekend ever mm. being stopped. Same here. Uh, so obviously we've had a fair share of races that have been cut short from a uh, crash that happened during the race. Mm. Um, but this is pretty typical. Uh, awful as that is to say, uh, I believe with Salam we continued racing the rest of the weekend. They did. So, yeah. I'm not one of the people on one of the motorcycles. I don't know if I really have a say in the matter, but uh, it's just, I, I understand both sides of the equation, whether someone wanted to take the rest of the weekend to collect themselves or to just get on the bike and keep racing because often that's how that's how racing that's how racing drivers and riders cope is to go and do their job block it out if i may because admittedly i 
I hadn't been tuned in when all this happened. I, I admittedly don't follow his Moto3 as closely as, as Dre or Cam does. Um, but if there is one thing that I, I really hope is that, you know, we mentioned that, like, Jason DePasquier was 19 years old when, when he was killed at Magello Circuit. You know, there's two riders, Sayuma Sasaki and Jeremy Alcoba, who are, I can't imagine what they're probably going through having been involved in that same accident. I just really hope they get all of all of the support that any rider can ask for um, in in such a terrible, terrible set of circumstances. We've talked about it before on the show, the, the, the level of camaraderie within the motorcycle racing world and beyond just colleagues. A lot of these guys are very close friends. And uh, you said, I can't imagine what's going through their minds right now. And... Yeah. Um, I, I know it sounds cliche to say in sports sometimes, but the MotoGP paddock really are a band of brothers. Um, they all have a common empathy for each other, um, even in the heat of battle. Um, they know the sacrifices they've got to make, the risk they take, and everybody was hurting. Um, and it's the, the timing of it all was awful. I still remember the fact that you know the news had really only become public in between the Moto 3 and 2 races, which was again just coincidentally just awful timing because um the moto 2 guys were on the grid getting prepared for the race they were already there green flag was in 15 minutes um and they had the race and i remember they interviewed marco bezecchi who had just finished in third and um he said it almost doesn't matter right now we're all thinking of jason and then he had and it was that point it had become clear they had not been told what had happened before the race had started and he had to get a whisper from one of the PR guys in the background saying look he's not made it and that was just heartbreaking to watch in real time um, because the Moto2 guys did not know what was going on and a lot of them were friends um, a lot of them had raced against Jason in that class last year um, you know Marcos Ramirez have had a very touching tribute on Instagram, which you should all read if you haven't seen it already. But um, no, I'm I stand by what I said originally in the sense of I don't think there's a right or wrong answer on this one. And if anything, I'm almost kind of glad that people were split on this because it just it's complicated and grief is complicated. And no, I don't think there's no right or wrong or wrong way to grieve. No, you just do. And, uh... You just do, and yeah, you know it's uh, yeah, just just again, just just a horrible event, a horrible event again. As as RJ Luke said as well, I I do hope Ayumi and Jeremy get all the support they need. Um, the car expert team as well. I know they've put out some very touching footage as well. If you can, if you want to see it, it's on their Instagram page. Go check it out. It's um, it's 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 heartwarming stuff. It's it's wholesome, and you know, it, at least it does the best to put Jason in as positive a light as possible, which is how I'd like to remember him, at least from my personal perspective, anyway. Um, but 
before we move on altogether one more time, just um, just just to say that uh, yeah, um, our deep condolences with everyone affected because uh, it, it's 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 the part of the job you hate. It's the it's the part of being a fan that you never want to acknowledge or think about until it happens, and uh, it never gets any easier. That's what I'll say for sure. There was one other semi-interesting incident during that race that I felt deserved some mention because we've talked about they talked about the subject a fair amount on the pod this year in two wheels and four and it was the final lap of the race um, it was a final lap fight for second between KTM's Miguel Oliveira Go King and uh, Suzuki's Joan Mir um, both riders put two wheels on the green out of bound zone um as part of the track in sector two um on the final lap which in moto gp's rule book is normally a automatic one position drop um it was confusing as they came over the line because miguel came over the line in second he um he was given a position penalty for going off the going on the green on the final lap he was dropped to third and then when they were both in Park Ferme, they put the announcement saying Mir second, uh, sorry, Miguel Oliveira second's been reinstated as Mir also put uh, two wheels on the green. Um, so they swapped back around again and Oliveira was allowed to keep his second. Um, fun fact, Johan Zarco, who finished in fourth, was considering lodging a formal protest. Ultimately didn't. Um, but, uh, I mean... Do you, what do you guys think of that final lap policy? Is it a is it is is the no nonsense technological because they have pressure sensors in the tires now, so they know for sure if someone went on the green, is that the better way to go compared to the sometimes judgment call that F one makes? I think I'm absolutely fucking sick of talking about track limits this year. <laughs> uh, That's I, what I think. I, I, I can understand that one. I, I can understand mm. that one, certainly. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% fine with it being black and white and not a judgment call, because there's less to argue about. It's like, mm. if you went off, you went off. And he did go off. You had to play, like, the clip back at half speed, which is kind of what we did before we started recording. Mm. So, like, see, oh, yeah, they were, it just got in there, but that's enough. That's enough. Mm. For it was actually it was so fine. I think on mirrors that it didn't actually set the sensors off mm. to trigger the penalty. They saw the yeah. camera footage and made that black and white uh, call that he had yeah. touched them. They they must have zoomed in like a hundred times over because Mir's bike is almost directly behind Oliveira on the hard camera shot. So that's but yeah, like Cam's absolutely right. This it was so fine that the pressure sensor on the bikes did not detect Mir going on the green, but they looked at the footage and they reckoned it did. So uh, that's how Mir also got a position drop penalty. But um, ooh, yeah, I mean this probably is the best way of solving this dispute because if you're going to make it a subjective call, you're always going to have people making arguments for or against. This eliminates a lot of the confusion. They could say, look, we put a sensor on the bike. We have cameras. It's pretty clear. 
you know, you you put it on the green, and I think that's probably the best the best way of of going about it because. Leaving it in the hands of F1 stewards has gotten us nowhere, as this season has proved. With um, you know, with with Portimao and and Bahrain and with, when with is every a... race, <laughs> yeah, like we we can't let this become like Taskmaster. It's like, oh, it's fine because I like you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like no, that, that I like doesn't the fact help that anyone. Ki- I like the fact that King referenced Taskmaster. Very anglophile of you there. Nice. I like that. But probably not the most ideal way of disputing motorsport calls. Um, have a really tall man say, you know what, I like you, so it's okay. Um, so, yeah, um, that's probably not ideal. But uh, it did make for a bit of an eyebrow raiser. And um, I could almost understand how Zarko almost lodged a protest because... I mentioned this to RJ. If they had actually calculated the penalties the other way around with Mir, Zarko would have finished in second. Um, but because Miggy's penalty was applied first, it was just a basic swap around, and then Zarko had to stay in fourth. It was uh, it was messy to work out in real time, but they did like it did make sense, and they 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 got there in the end, thankfully. But uh, yeah. Guadararo wins, and unfortunately, that was the uh, almost didn't matter in a sense this weekend. But um, yeah, uh, hopefully um, we'll have some, we'll have a brighter weekend because MotoGP will be back this weekend at Catalonia, one of the again another one of the real big flagship rounds of the weekend. New Turn Ten. Um, I think there'll be some fans in the grandstand as well, so that'll be nice for a bit of atmosphere yeah. as well. Um, I think it'll still probably be a bit of a somber weekend, but hey, you know, some people will like just having fans back at a track and watching some bikes go around. But on a brighter note, at least after this, at least for at least for me, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but um, later that day we had the Indianapolis 500, and um, we certainly had. At least briefly, a couple of reasons to smile again. And that was nice. So we talk about that. It's that time of year again, and, well, we didn't stream this year thanks to numerous personal circumstances, and we apologize. However, the Indy 500 did not disappoint. And the 105th running of the greatest spectacle in racing, it was Elio Castroneves, who still has magnificent hair. (laughs) <laughs> who made history and became just the fourth man ever to join the four-timers club in Indianapolis alongside legends such as A.J. Foyt, Rick Mears, and Al Unser Sr. It was a brilliant penultimate lap pass on Alex Pillow that won him the title after a fantastic final stint with Simon Pagino <laughs> mounting a furious comeback to third, including a final lap pass on Pato Award in the background of the battle for the lead. We also had some scares as multiple brake failures crept into the race. Cars crashing in pit lane, missing their braking marks on pit entry, such as Ryan Hunter Ray, who was in contention for a top five, Simona mm. Di Silvestro, Stefan Wilson, and Scotty McLaughlin as well as a nasty incident in which Graham Ray Hall's right rear, or left rear tire fell off of the rim after not being secured properly. Oh. He crashed. Connor Daly's car was struck after Connor Daly was contending for the win. Oh. So, 
four-time winner in our generation. How awesome was this to see a 46-year-old Elio win number four? <laughs> this was so, so cool to watch because the other big thing is this is also the largest attending sporting event that we have had post-COVID. 135,000 people would be allowed at maximum capacity. And boy, at times, it sure felt like it was more than 135,000. The grandstands, they seem to be completely full. I don't know how many people they pack in the infield the whole time. But (laughs) to see everybody just cheering and chanting for Helio, he's climbing the fence. The fans are climbing the fence (laughs) with him. That was... That was something special. I could tell that Elio Castroneves had a quick car. I mean, obviously, he made the fast nine. He was making moves at the start of restarts. But you see him running up at the front for most of this race with Polo and Patricio Ward, and you're thinking, he might have a chance to do this. And that's something you wouldn't have expected when this move first came to be because this is his only race that we know of this year. He's joining a team that hadn't been proven in Shank Racing. That's only been full time for about a year and change. And you think you think this is really nice and Elio wants to keep competing, but is he mm. gonna have a legitimate chance to win? And then he did. Yeah, I, I think like especially the way the way the race played out where you assumed like, oh uh Penske actually do have race pace, they're they're slowly making their way up to the front. But mm. I th- but I was surprised by the teams that we thought were going to have pace just didn't, like Andretti Autosport. Mm. And, like, it seemed like, oh, this is definitely, it's going to be, you know, Herda versus, like, Polo or VK, and mm. it didn't play out that way. Like, Hunter Ray ended up being the only Andretti Autosport card in position to win, and he didn't make it to the end. Mm. Badly blew that final pit uh, entry where, I mean, he was running right behind Helio at the time. He was going Mm. to be in the fight. It it was kind of a four or five car pack for the win Mm. in that final stint. What are your thoughts, Dre? Uh, Oh, man. I I, I was trying not to be fuming because I couldn't get home in time to watch this race and stream it. But uh, it, it, it was... It was a fantastic race. Um, I think the minor adjustments to the aero kit did work. We did get, you know, passing was viable. Ah, I knew it! (laughs) RJ RJ called that great in his uh, race fans article as well. It also helped that we ran this race in May, not August. Yes, definitely helped. Definitely helped. Um, Um, Yeah, but it wasn't a gimme to pass people, but it was most definitely viable. We saw that over the course of the race, so the cars were racing. That's what we wanted, really. We wanted it to be a challenge to overtake, but you could Mm. still overtake. And the bottom line is, I don't have to be ratioed for my lead on the preview (laughs) in case the race turned out to be a dud, which it wasn't. This was one of the better Indianapolis 500s in recent memory. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. No, I, I really enjoyed it. We got plenty of racing, plenty of green, which is always great to see. This was the, the driving standards 500. were so yeah. immense. Drake, yeah. say that again, because I apologize to cut you off. Yeah. What did you say that this race was? In terms of average speed, this was the fastest Indy 500 of all time. One hundred with the number. One hundred ninety point six nine zero. Yeah, nice. average speed. And you have to have impressive driving standards to accomplish that. And if you consider what 
happened during the race, there were zero on-track cautions. The yeah, the only cautions were entry and uh, Hunter and Graham Rahal on exit. Uh, so there were no on-track cautions. No one, yeah. no one crashed on track. Yeah, Nobody no crashed. one binned it on circuit, which is incredible to even suggest, given we had 33 cars in here, and of course pack racing, you know, a, a risk of pack racing, and yet yeah. no one actually crashed on track. That's incredible. Yeah, um, no real, uh, no real critical mistakes. The crashes that happened in the pit lane were brake failure. Yeah. Ray Hall, who, damn, Bitterly he was unlucky. in position oh. to maybe steal this race on an alternate strategy. Mm. team didn't get the left rear tire on and that was it but i want to bring it yeah. back to the man mm. of the hour our strawberry king <laughs> <laughs> who uh, dumped a packet of strawberry flavoring into the milk they had it to prepared. match the fire suit <laughs> holy shit that is awesome. i knew from the from the second from the second restart when elio just ripped around the outside of the pair of cars mm. He had a car that he could exploit. When you give Elio Castroneves the tools around here, he is just incredible to watch work. He said it after the race that he knew this car was good from when time trials were over, when his fast nine world was over. They did the practice. They did the post-qualifying practice. And he said, this car is good. Michael Shank, don't change anything with it. And they did. They good barely song. ran on car day, which was wet. Uh, and that car was quick. You know, I thought about this in the car as I was driving back, and, like, every one of Elio's wins tells a very awesome story. 2001, he brings Penske back to this race for the first time since 1994. We know what happened in 95, why they didn't race, and we certainly know why they didn't race for the next five years after that. And then he becomes the eighth different rookie, and the second one in as many years to win the race as a rookie. He called out Paul Tracy after his post-race interview, saying, oh, I know there was a race that... goodness. But there we watched. Other... We watched him just take Paul Tracy down from the top rope live on international television. Yeah, he, hit, me with he, the, he... hit me with the quote. <laughs> because there's a, there's uh, a story uh, in this one. He wins back-to-back years. He holds on in a fuel economy race, partially because of that last caution. Mm. Um, and now, holy crap, Elio's in a rare club of back-to-back winners. In 2009, we forget Elio didn't turn a wheel all that year because he was in the trial of his life, facing tax evasion charges based on a contract that was written for another driver who is no longer with us and hadn't been with us for 10 years and Elio was that driver's replacement. And that had ramifications that 10 years down the road. And Elio wins. He joins an even more elite club of three-time winners. And, and he does so in a unified IndyCar series. You're thinking, now, okay, this guy, this guy's special. These accomplishments are special. And then you think about what it took to get to this point. Losing so narrowly to Hunter Ray in 2014. Losing so narrowly to Takuma Sato in 2017. The separation from Penske. And you think, after 2017, gosh, was Elio, who was now transitioning to part-time IndyCar running, you think, was was that his last chance to win the Indianapolis 500? 
and yet and... it played out that it wasn't. And uh, yeah. I have the quote right here. PT, PT, I know you've been talking about that second win. Second win. PT, I'm sorry, man. That was my win. And now I've just confirmed another win. <laughs> just played him on TV. <laughs> Vince Carter uh, in the Olympics couldn't dunk that hard. Let's go home! Let's go home, but let's stay here so we can climb the fence with Elio. Look, oh, Elio Castroneves. Mm. Elio Castroneves is immortal. Yeah, he, You're immortal he, he, after your first Indy 500 win. Four? He has four. Four. The yeah. first four-time winner of our generation. And as Michael Shank, who may be the happiest man currently living. Uh, there's <laughs> he was a great... chugging Bud Lights in the background. <laughs> <laughs> he, there's a great picture of Elio coming to a stop on the front straight. And Michael Shank is like almost doing the splits between the two pit roads. It's like, awesome, man. Yeah, like he was man. a good he was a good foot away from getting Elio disqualified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He had to restrain himself. <laughs> First thing he said, I don't see why he can't come back for a fifth win next year. Oh, of course. Man. There's look. always next year. Oh. I know no, not to look. count Elio Castroneves out now, but, you yeah. know, from what I've seen, anything's possible. I mean, he just did this with a team that had never won a race. 20 years ago. Now, how's your first IndyCar win for a team at the Indy 500? <laughs> With a part-time driver who has no guaranteed races after this, who hasn't run full-time or run a race since 2017, at age 46 becoming the fourth oldest winner, the oldest since Emerson Fittipaldi famously drank something that was not pure white chalk, pure white milk in victory lane. Um, but look... I mean, we could debate about whether Penske... I don't think it's a matter of this is karma for Penske letting go of Elio. I think at the end of no. the day, this was just a case of two entities in Penske and Elio Castroneves. They just needed a change from each other, which is wild and to hey, think about. And it think worked. about it. Castroneves last year at Penske as a whole uh, is an IMSA champion. That's enters right. this year, has entered two races. The other one was the Rolex 24 at Daytona. He's due for two this year. Wow. He's having a pretty good year. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking Michael Shank has got to be asking, like, every sponsor that they have, like, hey, can you give us more backing so we can put this dude in a full-time car or try and find a sponsor to get him back in a full-time car? I, I'd love to see Shank expand Massive. to a uh, two-car team. At least for one last ride. But, yeah, and the, way, and the way he – you know what was powerful about that was, like – and I'll get to this in a minute as well, but, like – over 7 million people watched the end of that race and watched the post-race celebration. That is priceless for a series like IndyCar. Best, and that, I, best TV viewership in five years for yeah. the Indianapolis yeah. 500. IndyCar Massive. back to ABC numbers. Yeah. Please. We needed, we, the don't, sport don't needed something like that. The That's sport it, needed something was, that was clean. Yeah, there was clearly some buzz in the air. Um, what this I was say washed is, out. Mm. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah. No, look, this was this was... The sport needed this. It, it motorsport needed this, and it was, it was wonderful. Like I said, that celebration was just iconic. You know, like, and RJ made this point during after the race on Saturday. It was Daytona '98. It was, it was every the moment man, where, and, and, every crew, every, crew. every driver, <laughs> every team owner. Mario Andretti kissed him on the head, blessed him like the Pope. <laughs> it was art. You had literally a third of the paddock 
joined him on the track to celebrate with him and the team. Connor like Daly it says, he's still together. running up and down the front straight. It was <laughs> he ran halfway so down the straight. He climbed the fence. He had Connor Daly hug him. Will Power was bowing in front of him. Simon Pagano with that most beat. He had a bigger smile on his face than when he won it two years ago. It was, he's the picture of the Instagram. He just goes, Hello! Simon Pagano <laughs> said that win gave him another 10 years on his career. <laughs> More on him yeah. a little later, because uh, mm. I got some thoughts. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, because uh, all of that, it was just... wonderful. Helio is one of the real good guys in all of motorsport. We we talk about it here because we love him. He's hilarious, yeah. he's funny, he's charismatic, he's never not smiling, he's always happy. If you didn't smile at that celebration, I don't think motorsport is for you. That was a awesome nod to the series, and a series that I've said before on Twitter has a knack of producing magical moments. And it was funny, it was happy, it was it was emotional, it was everything we love about motorsport on a day that we got reminded of everything that we hate about motorsport sometimes, and we needed that um and it was wonderful and even down to the packet of fucking strawberry fla- strawberry flavored nest quick they put in the milk which was just genius it was it just only it shook that awesome. a little bit how strong was that first sip <laughs> big glug of powder uh, we've all we, we all know that feeling we've all been there with a, with a with a can of nest quick at some point it was wonderful everything about it was wonderful Oh, congrats to Helio. The sport needed something like that. And we've got to go down the field a little bit and pick out some of the other um, interesting performances, but we have to get one in because of uh, King's favourite eye racing, buddy. Um, <laughs> King, King! So King, close! King, so he's gonna close! He's going to take it out on King for the, next, oh. for the remainder of the year. No, no, look, look, King's pick was way better than all of us, so <laughs> I can't mock him for it because... Uh, Alex Pillow was second, and that was a magnificent drive for a man who's only had, what, his second ever attempt at this? He was sensational. I mean, like, not only, I mean, a a phenomenal performance, King, but building the backbone for a serious title challenge now. Yeah, yeah, he's retaking the points lead by a wide margin. Uh, 36 points. uh, More on that later. Yeah, it's... It, uh, where he said he, he didn't know how much it was going to hurt to finish second until he actually finished second. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, oh. Alex Below, in his second attempt at this race, did almost everything right. The problem is he was up against Elio Castroneves, a master of this track. Yeah, and Elio he's... made the right move when he needed to. And right at the end, the traffic came into play. And Pelot couldn't get a run on him. Yeah. Um, Pelot said, look, it, it hurts losing the 500 this close. But, you know, it's not that bad if you lose it against probably the best, if not the best, to ever do it. Mm. What we saw on the biggest stage was, look, Alex Pelot's already won a race in IndyCar. But this was his coming out party. This is yeah. to reinforce that, hey, this guy is as good as advertised when Chip Ganassi brought him in after just one season in the IndyCar series. He is finding consistency and pace that no other Ganassi teammate has found since Dario Franchitti was forced to hang it up in 2013. 
Mm. And there's a good list of drivers that is included in that list of people who have tried. Tony Kanaan, of course, was in that list. They had Char- they had a B team of Charlie Kimball and Graham Ray Hall and Matt Chilton and guys. Then they bring out guys like Ed Jones and Felix Rosenquist, who were all very, very talented, but just couldn't get together. But now, Alex Pillow, this season, it's it's all coming together. I think they said it. I think we said on our Discord it was the first time since I think 2011 where Scott wasn't the leading chip car. Like that is, even if you take in things like maybe like a bad first weekend or a bad second week when the points are all still closer, that is a terrifying statistic. That yeah. <laughs> Dixon's been their lead car essentially for ten years straight until yeah. this weekend. Um, that's. Unbelievable to even suggest. Um, that's look. He if almost, I'm being, yeah, old, we almost got that first Spanish winner we were thinking we were going to get four <laughs> years ago, but not the mm. one you expected. Look, uh, yeah, if you and, were, if yeah. you've just run second place in your second ever Indianapolis 500 to Elio Castroneves, I think you've got a pretty solid future ahead of yeah. you. Oh yeah. I I most certainly say so. He's got a 36-point lead in the championship after this double-point round. Um, That's a sizable margin, given we're back to 50 points for a win. That's going to take some work, or hopefully not, but a disastrous weekend for Polo to turn turn that deficit round. Um, You know, not race again next week, but uh, yeah, that would have been terrifying. Uh, shout out to Zoe as well. I just called it, pointed out another fun stat, uh, real quick, saying, "quote If Alex had won, he'd have been the first teammate since Dario to score more than one win." <laughs> That's even more terrifying statistic. <laughs> That's ridiculous. No, I think Falo's going to get another win before the season's over. Absolutely, I I think so too. Um, in the yeah, it's a salvage title, but you'd never see the body fill special after pancaking the wall in practice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you had quite the week, to say the least, and yet, climbed in. I mean, if I'm being ultra-critical, maybe not quite defensive enough at the end of that race, but I'm, I'm, I'm nitpicking here against a man who's done, who's done literally... He's done literally it, 19 more 500 attempts than he has. I mean... It's... It's all timing, and at the end of that race, with the the ability that these cars had to pass, yeah, he made his final move a little too early, but yeah. now he knows, and uh, he got to watch a master at work over the last couple of laps, holding him off. Look, look at it. Look at it this way: given what we now know about the traffic on the final lap, like that was probably Helio's last chance. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe down the back straight on lap 199, but he had maybe one decent chance left to set that up. Helio couldn't have left it any later than if he tried. That was yeah. a move he had to make, and he stuck it. And that's what yeah. won him the race. And yeah, if you're getting beaten by the most clutch of clutch overtakes to win the biggest race in your season, there's no shame in that. Oh, whatsoever. Yeah. Ah. That was a magnificent performance. And you know what? In the context of the championship, he's the real winner because a lot of the big contenders did not have a good 500. Primarily his teammate Dixon, who had to go a lap down, or almost went a lap down early on, which he was a lap down, but got the lap back later on. 
But um, yeah, Dixon and, and, and Dixon struggled. Rossi struggled. We'll get into a little bit more of that down the road. But uh, oof, I mean, who else surprised you, gentlemen, during that race? Pick one person. Pick one person. I want to start because I know somebody is chomping at the bit. And that is New Hampshire's own Cameron Buckley. Talk about him. <laughs> uh, I'm actually, I, I'm, I'm going to pick a, a primary one and then I'll, a second one because there's actually That's just another. That's greed. <laughs> it is greed, but there's another performance in the top ten that I think was absolutely fantastic. Mm. After qualifying, you may have watched the episode where I was drinking rye whiskey straight out of a bottle every time I had to talk about <laughs> Penske's qualifying. More specifically, Simon Pagino, who won this race from pole two years ago and then qualified 26 this year with Penske's terrible, no good, very bad qualifying setups. I think they Mm. should have left the race setups on for qualifying. He tore through the field. His pit stops were immaculate. Multiple 6.5 second stops when most people couldn't get below a 7 second. His car was quick in traffic. He saved the right amount of fuel. And in the final stint, he came out of his final stop a couple seconds behind the lead pack. He ran them down without a toe on raw pace. Got there just a little bit too late to make a play for the win. But he entered that final lap with fire coming out of his ears. Swallowed Patricio Award, who had run a fantastic race, uh, hole on the backstretch. And <laughs> almost got Polo on the line. I will take the, He had the speed. I think he got there just a little bit too late. Five more laps uh, would have been very interesting. I think two more. He he caught Polo so fast, I, I don't know. But given the context of qualifying, given the repeated rumblings about his seat, Simon Pagino saved Roger from a pretty embarrassing month of May. I will take a third place. <laughs> he saved the whole bag. <laughs> the bag, the bag was was already in midair being fumbled, and Pagino makes a diving <laughs> grab like a baseball player to save it at the last minute because that was a magnificent drive from Simon Pagino. Um, oh God, uh, I, um, I'd argue he he that might be as good a drive as when he won here two years ago. It's up there when he won here. He clearly had an incredible car. He could could he could dictate the pace. He had to claw and scratch for every position here, and he did. I'm going to add a little and... bit more context to how impressive that drive was. There were eight different drivers on lap 45 who were sent to the back of the pack for making emergency fuel stops during the first coffin caution for Stefan Wilson. You might know this is the period where Scott Nitson and Alexander Rossi couldn't get their cars fired. Simon Paginot had to start that race at the back with one quarter of the race already done. Yeah. Yeah. A last yeah. to podium challenge, effectively. Uh, yeah. He's, he's done it just, before. When he's, when he's got something to work with here, he's another one of those guys who's just so fun to watch around this place. Mm. My second what? pick, take a bow, Sage Karam. You From stole the last my pick, row motherfucker. Shootout. <laughs> <laughs> the homeboy. <laughs> the homeboy. Last row shootout to seventh in a one-off entry with a team mm. that has fallen very much on hard times, hasn't run a full schedule in 
the better part of a decade. Yeah. Get this man a full-time seat. Absolutely. Like, people forget, Sage Karam was once a teenage phenom at this Mm. speedway. He was driving full-time for Chip Kadassi, but the problem was everything just kept falling out of the sky. Some of it was his fault, not all of it, but I just want to put this in a context that, like, this is the best finish that Dreyer Rimble Racing have had in an IndyCar race since 2013 Sao Paulo when Oriol Serbia was still driving for them. And they were about to have to shut down as a full-time team and become Indy only for much of that. He, this completely flew under the radar, too, because we weren't even clocking the, like, oh, wow, Sage Karam, who started 33rd, had to go through a second-last row shootout in the last three years, has now made his way into the top seven on pace. Yeah, because it's like, okay, it was like, overtaking's improved, but it hasn't improved that much. People in the back are probably going to stay there, right? Mm, mm. Well, so no, cool. but, if, but if, you had, if you had the pit crew and his pit crew as well did a great job, um, if you had the tools and you had the ability, you could make it work. And Sage definitely did. He's still only 26 years old. No. And I don't know if he's ever going to get a full-time chance again. Mm. But if you're if you're a startup IndyCar team, and you've got a sponsorship, I don't know if there are... I, I, there's, you couldn't get... You would do a lot worse to pick someone else other than Sage here. Yeah. Yeah, you could do a lot worse. He's been he's been to hell and back in his racing career, Sage. And I know we've made a bit of a like we've we've made him a bit of an inside joke on this show over the last few years, calling him the homeboy and whatnot. But his talent was never in question. Um, you know, I I remember watching him under the days of Chip and thinking this kid is really really fast round ovals. Um, and I thought with the right setup, he he could do amazing things in that car. And to go from thirty first to seventh is absolutely sensational it's a driver of the year contender as far as i'm concerned that that crew and that team had no business cracking the top 10 whatsoever they had not looked like they were particularly fast all week long as you mentioned in the last in the last um, last row shootout the previous week on bump day and yeah one of the first real drivers to speak out about mental health as well, as, as Sage pointed out. Uh, as Sage pointed out in our Discord as well. I mean, yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a powerful figure and a, a wonderful performance from him. And yeah, a, a great result to pick up that prize money for the team as well. Um, yeah, all, all around delighted for Sage. Want to give a shout out to another old man, JPM, <laughs> who went from 24th to 9th, who very quietly went about his business as well. I mean, okay, we were like, I know people were talking about Monty and his lack of attempts and how he's got this incredible winning record, but again, given that only really Pato out of the McLaren camp looked particularly fast all week, um, that's a very impressive drive from JPM as well, his old age as well, relatively speaking. But, uh, yeah, King, you got any other picks there that might have surprised you in a positive way? Oh, no, not not in particular. Maybe, uh, I'd probably say maybe Scott McLaughlin, because uh, he mm. ended up on an alternate strategy. He was doing really well. It's just the cards didn't fall in his favor, and he had to pit near the end. But when he was out there, oh lord, he was quick. Scott McLaughlin did not reserve to, f- to finish down in 20th. Um, first, he was one of those folks who had a brake issue going into the pits. He said that was one of the scariest things, trying to slow that car down on cold brakes, trying to get in the pit lane. 
But before that, he was a stone cold lock for a top ten finish. That was the only mistake. He was a lock he for made a, He was in the fight for the win. He on that on what a, how the race had played out. He ended up in that final stint ahead of Pagano, kind of hanging on to the coattails of the top three. No. But because of how his strategy was affected by the stop and go penalty and having to throw drive the through. dice, the drive through, yes, yeah. um, he had to pit near the end. His finish does not re- it does not reflect how well he drove. He looked like he was at this track for years. Yeah, I will say it, he does get rookie of the year honors out of that because he did finish ahead of Pietro Fittipaldi. Yeah, he was he was impressive all weekend long. Yeah, very impressive. First time, first time showing, man. Right, he, he continues to impress me. I was always in the camp of like, are you sure Scott McLaughlin can work in this series coming off of supercars? Wrong. I was totally wrong. <laughs> yeah. Very, I, I, very wrong. I was wrong Scotty too. Scotty McLaughlin, very, very good. It's exceptionally not, it's, talented racing regardless driver. Regardless of word. whatever support he's getting from Penske, this is per, this is turning out great. This month, you didn't want to be in a Penske. No. no. And he looked mad impressive despite the inevitable, unfortunate result in the end. He was very, very impressive indeed. Um, on the other side of the coin, who were the big disappointments? disappointments? Can, I, can I start this off by saying anyone in an Andretti? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, damn it, Dre. Um, um, I was going to say, because I'm not going to go with the two obvious ones, because I think their races were affected out of their control. Yeah, Colton Herta was on fire all month until the green flag fell. He led, I think, a sum total of a lap and just faded. He just Where did the pace. pace go in the second half? Like the, 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 It was the second half in particular where he just fell like a stone. Yeah, I was like, what happened? Because... Again, like like you can make an argument, he was the fastest man on the speedway in the week going into this, alongside yeah. Dixon. That was about it. Like he, he and Dixon were throwing hands all month, and then, as it stands, Dixon's race falls apart. I'm sure that will come up, and Herda just doesn't have the speed. And it wasn't like it was an Andretti wide issue as well, because until his brake issue, Ryan Hunter Ray was in the fight for the win. Yeah, it was just oh. very odd. It's not all Andretti tech because remember who provides technical support to now Indianapolis 500 champions, Meyer, Michael Shank, Meyer Shank Racing. Yeah, that's kind of a black eye on Andretti <laughs> Autosport. I that only just clocked with me. No. Oh <laughs> yeah. Ooh yeah 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 yeah. Herter was nowhere. Hinchcliffe was nowhere. Hunter Ray kind of blew it for himself to a degree with that last pin entry when he was running in the top five. Um, in you know, in the lead group, he had a real shot at the win. That might be a career-defining mistake by Hunter Ray, so given the, the context time. of yeah. Uh, Ryan Hunter Ray's career probably ended with that brake failure. Just he's forty years shame. old. He's not been particularly good at any point in this season. He needed a big five hundred, didn't get one. Um, and there are there are rumors coming out of the Robin Miller mailbag this afternoon that apparently Alex Rossi is fed up there as well. So there could be they, they could they could blow this team up. It yeah. wouldn't be unthinkable. They especially, could blow the whole thing up. Especially the team the scale where it's like they're running 
what, five cars. I said it five. I said it yeah. at the end of last year in our season review for IndyCar. It's like Andretti's overextended themselves running this many cars. Where, yes, you have the drivers. You have the support from Honda. Occasionally you get the results, but rather than... Rather than everyone benefiting, it feels like everyone's running mid-pack. No. Oh, boy, oh, boy. That, the yeah. only thing I'm sure of going forward with Andretti is that Herda is there to stay because despite the lack of pace, Herda, Herda did go down fighting in this race. There was enough from Herta on the table to suggest that he really is the leader of this team now. Like, yeah. and... and you know, Rossi is Rossi looks demotivated as all hell. I mean, I I picked him to win this race because I said going in, he's probably the fastest man here now over the last two or three years, but it seems like as Cam alluded to, he's probably overexerted himself and combined I mean it's not all on Alex. He's had some rough luck in the last year and a half, most certainly, been in multiple wrecks that were not on him. But Well the problem it's, with it's Alex a, is is that Half the time it's not on him. Sometimes it is. I'll tell you in this race, you know what didn't help? The fact that when he got the restart at the back of the field, he was already lapped down. You know what didn't help him get back in the lead lap like Scott Nitson? Taking another emergency service in a closed pit restart at the back of the field penalty. He had two of those. Yeah. And it, it, it KO'd his race before it even really began because... Um, when Dixon and Rossi were stuck back in the pack, um, they both had pace, but if you get stuck a lap down here, there's not a whole lot you can do other than maybe land a lucky caution. You want to talk about luck. You want to talk about what disappointed me? Ed Carpenter Racing's three cars didn't deserve to finish where they did. Ironically, Ed Carpenter, who spent the whole race himself fighting back from stalling it out of the bots on his first stop, had the best result of their three drivers. Renus VK and Connor Daly were running in tandem. They've led a combined 72 laps between them. VK was on fire in the first stint, and then Connor Daly, once we got to the second quarter, I knew that he was from Indiana. I did not expect him to get the full Austin pop when he <laughs> oh, passed Oh, That was the epic. That like was... The 135, it's like they knew Daly was the hometown guy and he got the hometown pop. It's like, yeah! That was, 40, that was 40 more laps than any member of his family had led up to that race. <laughs> the seven that he'd started before, the six that his father Derek started before that. So naturally, ECR, ECR was a very curious case. Uh, they obviously they had the speed in qualifying when no other Chevrolet teams did, but there was a price to pay for all that speed. Fuel mileage, as we all know, hey, Chevrolet engines down, are very fuel efficient. As fuel efficient as a twin turbocharged LS drag racing engine, they down mm. their fuel so quick that. It really hamstrung their race, and specifically for VK, I think it did. For Daly, uh, you can't really control when a tire up and falls out of the sky and slams into your nose cone. Hell of an effort, though, to Daly for not only finishing the race with that damage, but at first, it didn't look like it affected him much because he was making moves at the start. 
But then, you know, that thing was just plowing like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, uh, I think they described it as they took out so much rear wing to try and balance the car back that it was like it was in qualifying trim. 2% center of pressure shift. And uh, for perspective, a quarter of a percentage of center of pressure shifting is really bad. No. (laughs) I, I... It's like Connor Daly's bad luck at this speedway continues, even when he's got a race-winning level car. He led 40 laps of this race. So, of course, the racing gods were like, that's far too many. Drop a tire on his front nose. (laughs) Of course! One that bounced off the back of Graham Rahal's car. I mean, what are the odds? (laughs) That's... I I I felt so bad for Daly. I really did. That was... That was a damn shame because he's, he he had a phenomenal race up to that point and was running really really well. It's a, it's yeah. a disappointment, but not for driver ones, but just for like da- Daily just has miserable damn. Like we joked about it years past. He was the bad luck Brian of the Indy Five Hundred, and yeah. like in a sense that kind of continued on this one. But uh, any other takers on that one, folks? Um, um, I'm actually gonna say. One of the cars that was involved in that crash, um, but the whole team, Rahal Letterman Lanigan, just never really showed. Graham Rahal had this race potentially in his pocket, saving fuel on an alternate strategy, and they threw the race right into the trash, yelling Kobe when they failed to secure his left rear wheel, and he crashed, thankfully, at relatively low speed. Yeah. But I'd say, I'd say for Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, just the race and fall their way, where it's like, with Graham, we saw what happened. Uh, Takuma was also on the alternate strategy. Yeah, yeah. Sato's race was inadvertently affected by Graham's race ending like that. I had a feeling, like, if if that changes, they're both right up in the top five with a chance to win. And the best Ray Hall car ended up being Santino Ferrucci, who finished, what, sixth place? I don't know how he (laughs) Because when you think... Because when you think of Santino Ferrucci, you think of calm, level-headed, methodical, and keeping his nose out of trouble. I know that (laughs) dude's got, I know we got no love for that dude, and I'm sure if he listened to this podcast, or at least watched the video where I went off in his Silverstone tirade in 2018, that I'm sure the feeling's mutual, buddy. And that's fine. (laughs) We can talk it out later. I don't know how he does this. I don't know how he keeps... Cranking out top sitzes at the speedway, even as a, even as a part-time driver. After even as a driver who was injured in a crash here and wiped out his primary car. Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew sponsored. I, I, I can't say this. I, it's the, it, it, the the car is the embodiment <laughs> of a gamer moment, and it finished in sixth. Sport is not fair. Across the board, okay? It's not fucking fair, okay? But the man's always been really good at Oval, so I can't say I was totally surprised at this, but... It's a little bit of of weird strategy that he pulled off the race. I just, I don't know how he does it. But bottom line, what do we all make of this Indianapolis 500? Awesome. Awesome. I... First and foremost, this was a great um, mint after the sewage of last year's race, (laughs) which was just the most abysmal, awful, on-track product that we could watch. This was everything you could ask out of the Indy 500. Great on-track racing, 
Everyone walked away, thankfully, again, after the circumstances of the weekend. That's huge. Yeah. A great story for the winner. Great attendance. Again, the biggest crowd that we've had since the pandemic started. This yeah. is big, not just for this race, not just for motorsport, but for world sport, period. Yeah. This was a race the world needed. If I could sum it up in one word. Magnificent. <laughs> Couldn't have put it better myself. Yeah, no, look, it was... It's. I, I, I think that was the best IndyCar race in general we've had this season. That was a... Superb race. Um, very much enjoyed it. It had it ticked every box. It was fast. It was exciting. You know, we weren't held back by cautions. There was alternate strategies. There were surprises. There was mixes of pace, and we got a fantastic finish in the end between two guys we really, really did not think would contend for this win. Well, maybe one guy we didn't think would contend for this win. Well done, King. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, and we got. A happy ending that I think sent everybody home happy. And, you know, we needed that in the context of motorsport for that awful weekend and in general. Um, a great win for the series. A great win, as, as Cam said, for, for motorsport, for world sport in, in, in general. Um, just just a fantastic race and a, a fantastic another fantastic endorsement for a series that we very much love on this show. And uh, long may it continue, which is kind of strange because we actually don't have an IndyCar race this weekend. Traditionally, we normally get a race in Detroit, so we're doing Detroit straight away. It's next week, um, I believe, this on this one. So, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll be talking about that in a couple of weeks' time. They had to, uh, they had to put it off. Elio's still running up and down the front stretch. Yeah, yeah, we've got, we got, we got, we got to fish him out of the fence um, at this <laughs> point. We've we got to put him down like when it was like comedy hooks. Uh, at some point, he's still apparently he's still running down that pit straight. But uh, we do have a lot of action this weekend. We have Formula One is back. Uh, Baku will welcome us again for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. I know you're all riveted and excited for this. You, 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 we're waiting forward to the annual coin tosses, whether this race is complete chaos or not. Um, I, how do you fancy it, guys? Yeah. No. Well, you, you forgot uh, you forgot one big race this weekend. What what could that be, King? The twenty four hours of the Nurburgring. Oh. You're damn right. Ah. Mm-hmm. That's that as well. Very much so. Didn't forget about that for a second. Twenty four hours. It's, it's looking it's looking like a soggy Nurburgring. Oh boy. Oh, oh is the bathrobe coming back out, buddy? I have no idea. But uh, <laughs> as an actual as an actual note for that, uh, there is one team beyond just. Beyond just my normal brand uh, allegiance, I really hope Frickadelli wins. I really hope they put because one in the back for Sabine. that's Sabina Schmidt's team. Go, go, go Team Sabine. That would be awesome. We've got that. We've got Formula 1 at Baku. And we'll be talking about uh, MotoGP at Catalonia as well. It's going to be, a hopefully, a very fun weekend. Um, and yeah, Motorsport needs to smile again after the week we've had. Um, I didn't get the ho- I didn't get the housekeeping out of the way at the top of the show for obvious reasons, so we'll get it out of the way here. Basically, you can find us. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport101. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport101. Twitter, a Motorsport underscore 101. If you have to follow our personal handles, you can on screen right now. If you're listening to us, it's at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at CBuckley917, and at RJ O'Connell. Um, we're on Instagram as well, at Motorsport101Pod. 
you can check out an exclusive picture of Ryan King's desktop, if you like, on there. It's a fun time for all involved. He's a very <laughs> handsome fella on the front, though, if I, if I, if I do say so myself. Um, good, good merchandise choice as well. Um, I don't, I don't, a man, I don't know where a this... man literally bathing in green narcotic. I, I, I don't know where this shirt came from, honestly. I thought I threw it out of the window last year during Imola. Um, point is, is that, uh, yeah, um, that's on there as well. You can follow us on there for updates and episodes and all that good stuff as well. And if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Um, $5 gets you early access to all our episodes normally, but for episodes 305 and 307, and maybe a couple more as well, is to make up for... An apology for not being there for the 500 stream as planned. There'll be a few episodes going out for just a buck. So do check it out if you haven't already. For the price of a really cheap coffee, you could, you could get several episodes of the show. So, hey, no better time to back us on Patreon than right now. Sorry. Um, normally it's $5 for the audio episodes. Tentatively, Ten- we will be back next year with a vengeance. <laughs> yes. We will stream for 16 straight hours. Oh, God. Don't uh, <laughs> well, remember... Next year, the Indianapolis 500 and the Nurburgring 24 Hours land on the same day. 24 oh, no, no, hours no. stream, baby. No, no, no. That's what we're not about to do. <laughs> unless unless we're raising money for a good cause. May need to, may need to do some research on that. Mm, Why not? No, that's an idea. There's um, a real day of classics. <laughs> the, the day, the night, the whole shebang of, of classics, yeah. Five dollars for all the audio shows normally, ten bucks for the video version, and be able to listen to the supporters club, uh, so you can get these episodes live as they're being recorded. Shout out to all you guys on YouTube as well, like like Jibran and Jason and Finley. Good to see you guys in there as always. Thanks to Zoe and Vic on Discord, all of the all of that good stuff, and our website as well for all of our written content as well, motorsport101.com. Thanks, Stuart, for blowing up my post about the paywalls and it going semi-viral. My mentions will be very grateful for that. Uh, <laughs> cheers, Stuart. Much appreciated, sir. Um, so you can check all of that out on there as well. But um, until next time, I've been Andre Harrison. They've been Ryan Eric King, RJ O'Connell, and Cam Buckley. This one's for Jason. Ride in peace, buddy. We won't forget you anytime soon. Sayonara. Elio Castroneves belongs to forever. <laughs> and yet, he still has, even at 46, magnificent hair. <laughs>